Sure, buddy. What verse are you on, Jeff? I'm on 12. I don't know what verse you guys are on. That's okay. that's, that's where I left off. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. Um, chapter, 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 12. Uh, Jesus is talking. We're still in the midst of uh, his battling with the religious leaders. So basically what's going on is Jesus is performing miracles, uh, doing things that are right and correct, but he seems to be doing them with the idea of actually prodding the Pharisees to uh, respond to him. So not only is he dealing with people's situations and helping them, he's also dealing with a spiritual situation over the whole nation, which would be the lack of spiritual leadership from the people who are supposed to be leading. So everything he does has seems to have two purposes here. One is to heal people or to do the good work that he came to do, and the other is to confront the Pharisees. Uh, he's blended the two things together. He's a multitasker. Of course, he is. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. So he's still dealing with this. We're dealing with... Um, well, maybe I should just set this. Okay. So we're still... Yeah, it's too late to that. I just, I'll just set this. And I'll, I'll ignore this just like I ignore that. In um, verse 12, he's still talking to them because they're criticizing him for healing on the Sabbath. And he says, well, let me read 11. You need to know 11 to get to 12. By the way, I have 32 pages of notes on this chapter. I think that's a new record. I think that's the most. I've, even in Romans, I don't think I had 32 pages on a chapter. Uh, he says to them in 11, What man is there among you who has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath who does not take hold of it and lift it out? So what he's saying is this is common knowledge. Everybody does this. And nobody, nobody complains that anybody's doing work. There's no, you know, one, just for the sake of the animal to be kind. And two, for the thing of your own, it's like if, if a $20 bill blows out of your hand, won't you chase it down the street? You know, that's not work. That's going to get your $20 bill. Uh, well, the animal has, so it, it has two purposes. And everybody knows what the answer to that question is. So in 12, he continues the point. And remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the Pharisees. But uh, it doesn't say the Pharisees, but it assumes that it says it later in the chapter. But that's who he's dealing with, religious leaders. Sometimes I err by putting all the religious leaders under the heading of Pharisee. But it's pretty close to true. Uh, how much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? Uh, so then, it is, it is lawful to do good things on the Sabbath. He makes a declaration. If it's good to save a sheep on the Sabbath, and a man is more valuable than a sheep, it is then lawful to do good to a man on the Sabbath. It's just deduction. How can it be unlawful to do good on a Sabbath of all days? The Sabbath is a day when good should be done. It assumes that healing someone is a good thing. Now, if anyone sees that God healing someone not being a good thing, then, you know, I, I don't know what to answer you. Jesus assumes that everyone knows that human value exceeds animal value. He did openly declare it in Matthew 10, Matthew 10, 31. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. He just says it outright. Um, not to get into a theological argument that we're not in. <laughs> but there are people who take the animal thing a bit far. Um, 
you know, I understand it. And, you know, outright cruelty is is a sin. Uh, it's addressed in Scripture. It's wrong uh, to animals. Uh, but once again, it's pretty clear uh, they're not people. And there is a hierarchy in creation, and Jesus declares it to be so. So Jesus says this to He asks them a question they can't answer because if they answer it, their whole argument is shot. He, he, he paints them into a corner they can't get out of. So after he says this to them in the hearing of everyone, he says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. Uh, Matthew lists no response from the Pharisees to Jesus' question. I mean, he asked them, is not you know, a man more valuable than a sheep? And they just sit there and stare at him. Apparently, they know they could not answer the question either way and maintain their objection. No matter how they answered his question, they were in trouble. If they said yes or no, they were in trouble. After stating that he was the Lord of the Sabbath just previously, Jesus proves it by performing a miracle on the Sabbath. A so there moment. Uh, Jesus basically saying, I told you I was, and let me prove it to you. For the Pharisees, for them, the man was a pawn in their plot. For Jesus, the man was someone he wanted to heal. Jesus simply speaks a healing. Uh, we've gotten used to our TV evangelists and faith healers, you know, touching people and all that sort of stuff. Jesus just said it. Um, he spoke it and it happened. He tells the man to do, this is interesting, he tells the man to do something that he couldn't do. He says, stretch out your hand. Remember the guy on the on the pad that they lowered and says, don't stand up and walk? It was, it was something he couldn't do, and he did it. The man acts out of faith, and he's healed as he does so. Uh, let's not forget, you know, his faith here when, you know, when his hand's in like this and he can't move it, and he says, stretch out your hand. And he goes, if you tell me to, I will, and it worked. Uh, Mark Sakan adds some detail to the occasion. Mark 3, 4 through 6. And he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. They wouldn't answer. Even that question they wouldn't answer. They kept asking him questions, but they wouldn't answer any of his. After looking at them with anger. Now, that's a neat little uh, caveat we get from Mark. Uh, after looking around at them with anger. Uh, this ticks God off. And it's never good to have God angry at you. Grieved at their hardness of heart, angry and sad, because these are the spiritual leaders of the people. He said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and the hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Uh, this is, isn't in, Mark's, I mean, in Matthew's account. The Herodians, just thought I'd throw this in here, were a Jewish political party that sympathized with the rulers of the Herodian dynasty and therefore Rome, the political setup, not you know whoever was in charge politically. They are depicted as allied with the Pharisees against Jesus in spite of the party's conflicting sympathies. In other words, they were the Pharisees and the Herodians were natural enemies, but in the case of Jesus, they what enemy of my enemy is my friend. Uh, they joined forces. Uh, but anyway, it's, so this is the first time, honestly, one of the powerful times where they're going to kill him. You know, they, they can't answer him. Every time they try to corner him in, he makes them look stupid. So they actually get together 
the religious, what's important here is the religious and the political powers got together and decided we need to kill him. We need to make him gone. Uh, you know, we, we can't, our, there's no way we can win an argument with him. The people are on his side. Uh, we need to make him disappear so that no one will ever think of him again. <laughs> that didn't work. And back to 14, he says, But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. They started talking about killing him soon, possibly there and then. So, I mean, they're serious, man. I mean, they're very angry. He just humiliated them again. Uh, he threatened their power and control of the people. Uh, but they couldn't discredit him as he crushed their accusations and then performed miracles. I mean, how do you combat that? You have to kill it. That's what you do. First mentioned the plotting to do away with Jesus uh, of a serious nature. Uh, more would follow. This is the beginning of the planning that would bring Jesus to Calvary. It's noteworthy that they condemned Jesus for healing on a Sabbath, but found it acceptable to plot a man's death, <laughs> to get together and say, hey, let's talk about killing this guy because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. Uh, Jesus' crime was consistently diminishing their spiritual authority over the people. Basically, he challenged their power. They liked their power, and they didn't want to lose it. Luke 6, 11 says, But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. So the one says that Jesus was enraged with them for being so unsympathetic, and they're enraged with Jesus because he's taking away their power. So we could see how this happens. Now 15 through 21 uh, deal with uh, Jesus fulfilling Old Testament property, uh, prophecy regarding the Messiah. There's just this little part that needs to be in here uh, for the Jews and for everyone else to understand exactly who Jesus is. But Jesus, aware of this, their rage and their desire to kill him, withdrew from there. Many of them followed him, and he healed all of them. So he tried to go away and get away from this, but everybody's following him, and everybody that follows him gets healed. Mark writes, Jesus went to the sea. Uh, Jesus makes a smart move. He simply walks away. It wasn't his time yet, and he wasn't going to allow anyone to affect his plan. Um, he wasn't going to allow Calvary to happen before Calvary uh, was meant to happen. Uh, it just wasn't going to happen any other way or any other time. It was going to be his place, his choice, his way, not theirs. All he had to do was walk away. Uh, and, and basically, he went to the sea where you can't really surround anybody. Uh, he wasn't afraid of them. It just simply wasn't his time yet. Uh, this is from Mark's rich account of this. Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and also from Judea. So there are people from the south up there. I mean, this is when it says great multitude, there's a really big crowd. So when he leaves there after healing that uh, man with the crippled hand, this vast host of human beings just follows him along. Um, uh this multitude, of course, would have also stymied any plan to seize him and to hurt him. I mean, there's this huge throng of people. It would not have been wise to try to grab them. And from Jerusalem and from Edeum and beyond the Jordan, the vicinities of Tyre and Sidon, a great number of people heard all he was doing and came to him. So what you have is this vast conglomeration of people, uh, something that has never been seen, something beyond what John was doing. And he told his disciples, 
uh, and he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because of the crowd. In other words, he was being pushed into the sea. There was nowhere. There were so many people coming. He had nowhere to go but in the water, uh, so that they could not crowd him. Once again, not his time. One group wanted to kill him. The other wanted to crown him, and uh, and he would not permit either. Uh, never forget that there were times when they tried to make him king. They tried, and he just walked away. So one group is trying to kill him, the other one's trying to crown him, and he's having nothing to do with any of it. It said, for he healed many, and with the, and with the result that all those who had afflictions pressed around him in order to touch him. There, there's not a whole lot here about people coming to hear the, his words of truth. Uh, it's people being people, and he understands that. Um, some people are coming to be healed and he has sympathy for them. Other people are coming for the show. You know, it, it's much like Herod. If you remember Jesus Christ, superstar, if you're the Christ, walk across my swimming pool. You know, I want to see you do something. Uh, a, a large part of this is that. This is why people turned on him. Um, whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, you are the son of God. So, He's doing all these miracles. He's preaching these just boundless sermons of truth. And even the spiritual world is openly proclaiming who he is. But when he, whenever they do that, it says, and he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. It wasn't time yet. So we get an idea that Jesus Christ knows exactly where he is, exactly what time it is, exactly what's happening, and he is in control nobody else he's in absolute and total control of the whole situation back to matthew 16 and he warned them uh not to tell who he was mark's account links this uh, warning to what other people heard from the unclean spirits jesus is the son of god if jesus wanted that proclaimed openly he would do it when it was time and he would prove it james uh, 2 19 says you believe that God is one. Well, you do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder. They know exactly who Jesus Christ is. There's no doubt about it. Every, you know, while the world is wondering who Jesus is, the spiritual world is not. They know. And then it says, "This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah the prophet." Uh, it's from Isaiah 43:1 through 3, and then Isaiah 11:10. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he, he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Boy, I, please uh, mark that one in your Bible. That's us. That is very big, uh, all the way back in Isaiah. It declares that God always had a place for us, always had a heart for us, and always had a plan for us. What's notable here in this verse is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all noted in this verse as three separate entities. God, my beloved, and my spirit. The Father, the beloved, and my spirit. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. The, the, the battered reed he will not break off, and the smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory he will conquer without violence or hurting anyone is what it's saying he will bend until it's time for him to break his mission was paramount over everything else in verse 21 
<coughs> and is in his name the Gentiles will have hope. Uh, the fact that this is included by Matthew in a gospel of Jesus Christ whose mission was to the Jews, Matthew who was a Jewish tax collector, the fact that this is in there and has a prominent place is very meaningful. This is also quoted by Paul in Romans uh, 15, the exact same set of verses. Uh, Isaiah 11.10, I'll read them to you. Then in that day the nations were restored to the resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples. That's everybody. It's not the Jews, the peoples. And his resting place will be glorious. Romans 12.15, again, Isaiah said, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles. They actually changed the Gentiles from peoples. In him shall the Gentiles hope. Uh, verse 22, back to Matthew. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him. So the mute man spoke, and he saw. Jesus once again openly demonstrates his authority over spiritual powers while he also performing a physical healing. It says he was brought to Jesus, did not come on his own while well, he was blind. Of course he didn't. And most likely was helped by friends or family. Now, let's take a minute here. This isn't the only time this happened. Remember the guy that was lowered down through the ceiling by his friends? They, they cut a hole in the ceiling and the crippled man and they lowered his bed down right into the middle of where Jesus was standing. Like Jesus was in the middle of a sermon and he, 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 he just got, hi Jesus, you know, he just comes right down in front of him and everybody watches. And Jesus healed him and Jesus heals this guy. Um, for those of us who have friends and family who we know need Jesus Christ, never lose hope. Uh, do what is yours to do. Uh, do what you can to bring them to Jesus. It matters. It works. Uh, God loves them. Don't lose hope. Um, I mean, bring them to Jesus the best way you can here, just like these people literally brought him to Jesus. Do the same thing in everything you think, do, and say, uh, just in how you act and live. And when people are ready to ask the questions, be ready to answer them. It matters. God will use you. God loves them. That He matters to them. He matters to you at all. Them to Him all the time. But even more so because they matter to you. Uh, it definitely matters. He is well aware of your concerns for the people you love. He knows it. Something to think about when you consider friends and family who need spiritual help and spiritual blessings. Here and in chapter seventeen, the casting out of spirits is referred to as healing or curing. It's interesting uh, that those are the words that are used uh, for uh, an, what is basically what we have come to call an exorcism. Tough word to use here because that's a whole different uh, system, but it's basically the same thing. They call it a healing. In two cases, he calls it a healing or a curing because when that happens, something physical changes too. Anyway, 23, all the crowds were amazed. And we're saying, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? Could this be the Messiah, is what they're saying. When they say the son of David, they know what that, when they say the son of David, it means the Messiah. That's, you know, this isn't, yeah, there's no doubt about this. Jesus' popularity was becoming overwhelming. It was frenzied, according to Mark. Not just some, but the crowds. Their reaction is directly contrasted by the Pharisees in the next verse. 
Mark said in 30, 20, 3, 20 through 21, and he came home and the crowds gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he has lost his senses. In other words, it had turned it a little into a little bit of a riot. I mean, it's just a spiritual riot is the best way to put it. Just chaos. Uh, you know, Jesus couldn't even find time to eat. So they went out, well, they went out to rescue him is the word. They use, I don't know what, if the other translations say something different, but it's a, to take custody of him, to seize him and bring him into safety. Jesus didn't ask them to. Uh, remember what happened when um, the guard from the temple came to the Mount of Olives, to, uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane, to arrest Jesus. Do you remember what happened? They said, uh, we're looking for Jesus. And Jesus turned and says, I am he. And they all fell down. He, they, he knocked, just his words put them on their butts. So Jesus didn't really need help. He didn't even say, he just said, hey, I'm him, poof. You know, and, but they were concerned for him. It says, but... When the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man cast out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. In other words, Satan. Mark states that these uh, particular groups of Pharisees had traveled there from Jerusalem. So these are the heavy hitters. These are, it's like the Pope showing up with some cardinals, you know, in, in, to put it in our vernacular. Or our bishop with all the uh, DSs coming, you know, to see what it is you're actually up to. But, I mean, they traveled up north, and they don't want to go north. North's north. I mean, it's, it's like the Cleveland of Israel. Um, you know, nobody really wants to go there unless you have to. Um, but they did. And they're up there watching because they heard reports. Mark states that these particular groups of fairies had traveled from Jerusalem. The heavy hitters were on a scouting trip to assess Jesus and look for weaknesses. They made the same accusations back in chapter 9 and 10 of Matthew. It seems to have become part of their campaign to discredit Jesus. They keep saying it. Nobody's listening. Mark 3.22 says, Describes who came down, uh, down from Jerusalem. Now, once again, I remind you, every time, no matter where you go to from Jerusalem, you're going down. Uh, Galilee is north, and they call it down. You go up to Jerusalem, and you go down from Jerusalem. It doesn't matter which direction you're going. That's just how Scripture says it. He is possessed by Beelzebub. He cast out demons in the name of rulers. That's how Mark wrote it. And able to dispute the miracles happened, they attacked how they happened. It's also noteworthy. They believed in Satan, his power, and his rule over demons. Uh, you know, that's part of their theology. 25, and knowing their thoughts, and boy, I don't know how many times we've heard this in Matthew, how many times this was mentioned. He knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're discussing in private. He knows what they're mumbling. And it's got to be very unsettling to them to be gathering together in a cabal of tricksters, just sitting there doing their gossip, and then Jesus addressing their gossip directly as they're doing it. It has to be a little unsettling. Uh, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any house or divided against itself will not stand. One of the multiple times Jesus addresses their thoughts, God knows what you're thinking and will call on you to answer for what you're thinking, just like he called them to answer for what they're thinking. And he also directly addresses what they're thinking. 
there is no solitude uh, and there is no place to hide in our thoughts. Uh, it, not from God. We, you know, from people maybe, but God, no. Um, if Satan cast out Satan, this is Jesus' argument in reply, he is divided against himself. How will his kingdom stand? Basically, he's saying, dudes, why, oh, why would Satan do that? You know, just common sense. They're politicians, and they act like it. Just like they just keep making stuff up and saying it. Sooner or later, they're believing something will stick. As in the words of the old politician that I knew, Jeff, it doesn't have to be true. It just has to be heard. Uh, Jesus goes on in 27. If I by Beelzebub cast out demons... By whom do your sons cast them out? <laughs> For this reason, they will be your judges. <laughs> Jesus turns their accusation back on them. Apparently, uh, their uh, followers were casting out demons. So Jesus said, well, if that's the power that's doing it, then aren't your own followers doing this? I don't know if this means sons literally, uh, as, or sons as in followers. doesn't matter. But, you know, these are people they connected themselves to, and they're doing it. And Jesus says, well, if I'm doing it, and that's the only way it gets done, then isn't that what your people are doing? Once again, man, he just, he just decimates them with words. If it's true for me, isn't it true for you also? Uh, and generally speaking, sons means disciples. It seems Jesus is acknowledging that there are others that do cast out demons. So what he is saying is the fact that they do point the finger at them that points right back at themselves. And then he says, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. <laughs> what he's saying is, if you're wrong and I'm right, the kingdom is here, right here, right now. Everything you've been waiting for, everything that you've ever read in Scripture, every time you get up and read the Scriptures, everything you do that leads to this, is it's now. It's right here in front of you. Now, I want to tell you, everything in Scripture that pointed to this is now very clear to us. We have hindsight. We also have a lot of New Testament Scripture that points all this out to us. That all those myriad of Scriptures that point to Jesus Christ, being born of a virgin, being born in Bethlehem, all these things. Um, but they weren't connecting it. It wasn't getting together. It just wasn't hitting in their heads. Now, how this applies to us, I, I want you to think about how much we talk about end times and revelations. And we all seem to think we know when we see something what it means. I do believe we're going to be just as surprised then as, we, as these people were there. Uh, I think that we're going to look back and go, oh after it happens. Um, it's meant to be viewed in hindsight. Um, it's meant to be powerful after he arises. Uh, it's meant to be that way. He knows exactly what he's doing and the way he's doing it. Now, there were some people who caught it, who understood it. I mean, they were so deep in Scripture, they were looking for the right thing. Because remember, everybody's looking for a Messiah to deliver them from the Romans. Nobody's looking for a Messiah to deliver them from themselves. Nobody wants that. What everybody wants is some sort of financial or political victory over uh, all these other things, over their enemies. 
not realizing that their own pride is the enemy. So it's sort of interesting. Um, the fact that I'm doing this tells you that something really big is happening right here, right now. This is exactly what miracles are supposed to do. I've said this repeatedly. This is why miracles are performed. And Jesus says it once again. The fact that I'm doing these miracles should tell you the kingdom's here. Why don't you see it? Uh, so the miracles were doing what they were meant to do. They attacked Jesus. Jesus logically answered their attack. And he uses their accusations to make a point they could not dispute. Something big was happening. Something in the kingdom of God. And they were actively trying to stop it. And though they were actively trying to stop it, they would be used to make it happen. That's God. Everything they try to stop, they actually made happen. That's God. They were victims of their own hubris, basically. The thing they did not want Jesus to become, he became because of what they did. Because he died and became a martyr, uh, also remember that at one point in time, every, just about every Christian on this planet was a Jew. <laughs> they, they didn't want him infecting Judaism. <laughs> they infected the world because of what they did. Isaiah 5, 20 through 21. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. They're calling him Satan. They're say, basically, they're saying he's Satan. You know that. You know. First John three eight. And the one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the very beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Everything Satan did, he came to tear it down. Satan knows that he doesn't want it to happen. Well, this goes back to, you know, can a kingdom divide it against itself? And, G and later it says clearly this, Jesus came to destroy Satan, not to work for him. Verse 29, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. Jesus stating that he has bound Satan. You, you didn't see me do it, but I did it just with words. Just because I said it, it was done. I, what he's saying is, I didn't just cast out the demons. I bound Satan first. Then I cast out the demon, his follower. I, I bound the leader, then I threw out the follower. In other words, I captured the general, then I threw out the soldier. Uh, that is why he cast out the demon from this man. I didn't use Satan's power. I overpowered Satan, is what he's saying. I couldn't have done this unless I overpowered Satan. He was not with me as against me. And Wow. <laughs> He goes right from that answering their accusation, which is what that was. He's, you know, he destroys their accusation with logic. And then he turns and says this, He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Uh, this little verse says a lot. There are only two options in the kingdom. There's only two options. How many times in scripture do we have to see this? There's only two things. Sheeps or goats. Mine or not mine. Uh, there are only two options in the kingdom. Saved or not saved. Sheep or goats. Of the spirit or of the flesh. There is no middle ground. There is no halfway. One cannot sort of believe to hedge their bet. Just in case the Bible's true. And there's a whole lot of us out there that are living that way. Well, 
just to make sure I'll go to church. It's not what he's looking for. Everyone is spoken to by the Spirit, and they choose either to accept his witness or reject it. There is no sort of. Sort of is a big no in the kingdom of God. And so then he deals right into the big one. Therefore, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy against shall be forgiven against people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Uh, don't let this go out of the context of the conversation that it flowed from. You know, they're saying that he's casting out demons because he's the devil when it's the Spirit of God who's doing it. Uh, therefore, because of what was said in verse 30, this was directed at the Pharisees who had said that Jesus had cast out demons by the power of Satan instead of the power of God. But it's much deeper than that. Mark three twenty-eight through 30. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be given for the sons of men for whatever blasphemies they utter. Who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin because they are saying, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. The reject now we have to step back a little bit and take it to its deepest possible meaning. Uh, this what there are theologians who will tell you this sin only applied in only all of history only to those Pharisees that they were the only ones who could have possibly committed this sin. Well, that's a very small group of theologians. Um, the rejection of the truth that the Holy Spirit brings to ear to the ear of all. Calling a lie is spiritually, calling that truth is spiritually fatal. The Spirit convicts all that they are sinners who need to repent and turn to Jesus for salvation. Those who call this message a lie blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Uh, it is the Holy Spirit that leads people to Christ, not us. It has always been from the inside out. We augment and we bring witness to what the Spirit says. Blaspheme carries the meaning of slander. Consider the Pharisees and the criminal on the cross. The Holy Spirit is called the helper. Those who reject the help are helpless. It is just that simple. The reason he's called the helper is because we need help. You reject the help, you're helpless. It, it, it is just that simple. It is the terminal refusal to accept the diagnosis that the Spirit and the Word reveal. You need to be saved, and Jesus is the only salvation. In essence, it is pride that will not accept this truth. And the ultimate uh, example of this is the Pharisees. Now, I see the and most Christendom sees the Pharisees as the example, whereas there's a small group of people who believe they're the exception instead of the example. I, I recognize that they believe that. It is saying you can be forgiven for any sin you repent of, but you cannot be forgiven for not repenting as the Spirit leads. There are some who say this sin was specific to the Pharisees and this instance, that it couldn't be committed today. I find this doubtful. This possibly links to Jesus saying you are either for me or against me in the previous verse. You are mine or you are not. If you're not, that means you're someone who has rejected and blasphemed the Holy Spirit. You received me or you rejected me. The Bible exposition commentary addresses those all who would reject Christ. There is an unpardonable sin. To, is there an unpardonable sin today? Yes. 
the final rejection of Jesus Christ. Jesus made it clear that all sins can be forgiven. Adultery, murder, blasphemy, and other sins can all be forgiven. But they are not unpardonable. They are not unpardonable. But God cannot forgive the rejection of his son, which is what they're doing. In it is the Spirit who bears witness to Christ, John 15, 26. So it is the Spirit who bears witness to Christ. That's important. And who convicts the lost sinners, John 16, 7 through 9. Others say from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. This specific sin cannot be reproduced today for it requires Jesus' presence on earth with his performing miracles through the Spirit's power. Uh, I do not see it that way, but I thought you should hear it. Uh, it is by far the minority opinion. Um, like I said, I think it's an example for everyone who rejects Christ where they're saying it's this specific group only, which would seem to me a... Uh, using up a lot of scripture just for a couple people. First uh, John 7 through 8. But if we walk in the light as he himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That is part of this. If we say we have no sin, we are rejecting the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and it says, the truth is not in us. Acts seven fifty one through 53. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears have always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. He's referring them back to everyone who ever rejected the voice of God. The Spirit of God. Always resisting who? The Holy Spirit. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have become. <laughs> this is the same, He's talking to the same group of people that killed Jesus. He's talking to them. You have received the laws ordained by angels, yet you did not keep it. 32, but whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, no, it's very interesting because they were speaking against Jesus, and Jesus immediately refers to, you're not really talking about me when you insult me. You're insulting the Holy Spirit. It shall, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. But giving that the Holy Spirit wasn't exactly mentioned in the Old Testament. Just called the Spirit of God. Yeah. Did they recognize his existence uh if they didn't they did now i mean he he brings it right out in the forefront and he lays it out there and um they didn't recognize anything spiritual to be quite honest i mean Just every yeah that's all they did you know uh their own little world they created and they uh you know let's be clear they called jesus a glutton they called him a drunkard who fellowship with sinners they said he broke the Sabbath, uh, implying that birds of a feather flocked together because he hung around with sinners. All that could be forgiven. They questioned his parentage. They, yeah, they called him a bastard. They, they did all these things. He said, I could forgive all that. that that's all can be forgiven. But what you can't be forgiven of is rejecting 
the call of the Holy Spirit. You know. Can I can I ask a question? When you say call of the Holy Spirit, would you say meaning when God prompts your heart to accept Him as Lord Absolutely. and Savior? Absolutely. That's, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, God speaking to each person's heart. Um, that is His job. Our job is to live a life that. Uh, gives credence to what they hear. You know, what does it say? It says, you know, live your life the right way, and when anyone questions where your hope comes from, be ready to tell them. That's our job. The Holy Spirit does everything else. No one has ever led anyone to Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God has always done it. Because if it was up to us, then we would be responsible. People would go to hell because of us. <laughs> God, uh, that, God ain't going to let that happen. He, he's not putting somebody else's eternal future in my hands. Uh, yeah, he. Everybody's eternal future is in his hands. Yeah, and he does everything that he died. He came. He died. He rose. He speaks to their hearts. He gave scripture. Uh, if you reject it and say it's not, if you reject the truth and say it's not the truth, then there's nothing left for you. Verse thirty-three: Either make the good tree and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and the fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You are what you say and do. You prove your heart with your life. Jesus uses this analogy three times in Matthew. Chapter 7, chapter 12, and chapter 4, 15. What he's saying is, the proof is in the pudding, and he's speaking to whom? You know, remember we're talking about the Pharisees who called him, uh, said that he was Satan, and that he is doing his works by the power of Satan instead of by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's just basically saying, dude, you guys, you stink and everybody can smell you. Jesus expands on this thought in the next four verses, specifically focusing on our words as proof of our hearts. Sooner or later, your words will prove your motives. We'll, we'll end right there. That's a good spot. Uh-huh. So we'll pick, oh, well, I can't end right there because there's more. Ah, we'll go pick back up on that. Wow, I wrote a lot of, I wrote a lot of stuff. Verse 33. So those, those, the 34 through 37 is like one more last thought in that little section, right? Yeah, where he's addressed. Well, that's where he goes to talk about our words, um, how important they are. Um, sooner or later, it, they're going to show you you, and hopefully they show you you before they show somebody else you. If you're not smart enough and you're and if you're not humble enough to hear what you just said and adjust to it, then other people are going to hear what you said and you're going to have to answer to them for what you just said. Because you're surely going to have to answer for God with what caused the words. Um, you know, we always say that thing, well, I didn't mean it. <laughs> well, God knows what, what you meant and didn't mean. Um, yeah, you did. What you're saying is, I'm sorry I said it. No, I'm sorry it was heard, is what you're really saying. And I've had enough times in my life that, uh, you know, it, it, that's a hard thing. But it has shown me the truth. Uh, I will say that. Um, I won't say, hard to say I'm thankful for it, but in the end there's some truths I would have never known about myself if I didn't hear me say it. So it's almost like that thing that gives you away to yourself. Any other questions? Verse 33. Man, we are zipping through. We did. We did. You did good, honey. <laughs> Thank you, honey. 
See, my wife said I did good. <laughs> Showed you. You can come all the time, dear. Um, let's... At least next time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you, and Lord, give us clarity. Um, we really want to know the truth. Um, we don't really want our own agenda. We want yours. Uh, we just come to your word seeking truth desperately, and we're asking for you to bless us in our efforts. Uh, let us find that truth. Let that truth find a home in our hearts and change us so that we can be some help to this poor, sad world instead of being part of the problem. And I ask that you watch over my brothers and sisters, make them strong, wise, brave, and compassionate, and help them to glorify your name in what they think, do, and say. Amen. Before we leave, let me be crystal clear about what I believe about the uh, unpardonable sin. It is rejecting the call of the Holy Spirit. I, I just gave you the other one because sooner or later, if you go deep enough, you'll hear it. Um, it's there. I, I see their point. I don't agree with it uh, on any grounds. Um, it's just too specific, and it just doesn't make sense in the whole context of the chapter and the entire scripture. It just doesn't make sense. So that's it. Any other questions or anything? Hey, Lily, take the take the week off, Lily. Take the week <laughs> that's off. That's why I was smiling because she was circling. Lily, uh, rolling. 